every life has a story. And every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. My guest tonight is Joel Kirby. I've known Joel for a number of years, uh, both through the family. I know his mom, his dad, his grandma, who has gone to be with the Lord recently. But I've known Joel to love the Lord, to love music, to love God's creation. Spends a lot of time in the open air and just uh, loves being alive and being with Christ and in Christ. And tonight he's here to share his amazing story. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Pastor Nathaniel. Thank you for having me. Saying this because I want to say prophetically as well. You love so much about life and about things. You've explored so many things already. exciting things, especially in God's mm. creation. What are some of the highlights of God's creation that you've seen and really embraced? Wow, that's a, that's a beautiful question. I, from a young age, I've, I think it's the awe of God that I see in creation, mm. uh, particularly his animals. Okay. Um, and seeing animals in all the different shapes and forms I think it really shows the creativity of God. It's the yeah. same with people. Uh, we are his canvas. Yeah. Um, I think especially new life, mm. young animals and how ecosystems, animals, plants, trees all work together um, and provide each other's needs. Yep. And I just find it so fascinating. What animals have you studied? Most notably sea turtles. So for the past six, seven years, perhaps, I've worked with sea turtles in Western Australia. Mm-hmm. So up north, um, particularly with flatback turtles. So doing a lot of monitoring programs um, as the the females come up to lay their eggs. Yep. Going and, and putting identification tags on them so that we can track um, when they come back. Oh, and what else? There's many things with the turtles, but I've also worked with meerkats in the Kalahari in, of South Africa, um, just under Botswana, near the border. And that was amazing. I absolutely loved just being in the desert. So they're wild cats. Yeah, wild meerkats. They're, well, they're habituated, so they're not yeah. tame, mm-hmm. but they're used to people being around them. Okay. So the, in that role, my job was to wake up sometimes at 4.30 uh, using a, a telemetry satellite to track where the matriarch was. She'd yeah. have a radio collar. And then when they wake up, we weigh them and then we weigh them two other times at lunchtime and at dinner or bed yeah. when the sun goes down yep. and um, record all their behaviour. And they become, because we're there for like about eight hours following them. We'll do it in the morning and the evening. So we have a break in the middle of the day. Yep. Um, but they become so familiar with you. So there's a few times where I would bend down to tie my shoelace and one would jump up on my shoulder up from my bag to get a good vantage point. Yeah. And in that moment, they, they just think you're a tree or something to elevate their view. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really um a good time for me and I just love being in 
the, the wilderness, I guess. Wow. And as you'd be walking, there'd be like a tortoise walking past or a big um, elam, which is like an antelope, more Whoa. closer to the size of a horse, maybe a bit smaller. But so this is in the wild? Yeah. Well, it's in a nature reserve that's yeah. owned by Cambridge okay. University. Okay. So it is fenced, so which does give us the freedom to walk around safely. Yeah. So there's no rhinos or lions who we could be threatened by. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, what a what an experience! What attracted you to, or what attracted you to the turtles in the first place? When I finished high school, my dad showed me an advert in a, in a newspaper for a volunteering opportunity with sea turtles, mm -hmm. and I think I've always wanted to get more involved with animals than what's available in Perth. Yep. Um, and when was and, this trip up north? Yes, up north. The very first trip was in Exmouth. And you took on that trip? Mm, for five weeks, my first trip. How old were you? About 16, 17? I just finished high school, so I think I was 18 or maybe just turned 19. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where I remember the first moment when I saw a sea turtle. And I. it's like this kind of things that I've wanted to all my life. And it's like, wow, like I'm actually doing this. Yeah. And yeah. So, and then since then it's um, just developed. Mm -hmm. I, I spent six months in Grenada, which is in the West Indies of um, the Caribbean, working with leatherbacks yep. and these turtles, the largest one ever found was 900 kilos, mm. but the females, um, they're about seven foot long. So, about the width of my arms yep. and a few hundred kilos and it's they're phenomenal wow yeah you can actually ride them in the water can't you you could actually but they, they obviously they go at a fast speed yeah i often thought about as one was leaving if i just hang on and and see see where it goes but i, I didn't have the confidence or you know it's probably not good they don't feel uh, threatened when they see humans on the beach well, it depends on which stage of the nesting they are. Yep. Um, so hard shell species, which are basically all the species except for leatherbacks because they yep. have a soft shell, they're much easily spooked because um, they're much smaller and they most commonly come at nighttime with the cover of darkness to protect themselves and their eggs. Yep. But when they're laying, and this includes leatherbacks, they go into, it's called kind of a trance yep. where even in times where we'd have to relocate eggs, this is with the smaller ones, of course, if we can move them and they would continue the process as if they were covering up their eggs, but we okay. put them somewhere else. So, wow. so there's certain times where you can go around them and it's completely fine. And they just lay the eggs in, in the sand and they leave. Yeah. They, they dig a hole with their rear flippers, yep. kind of like ice cream scoops. Yep. And they lay their eggs, cover it, and then yeah. they go. That's it. They don't sit to hatch or anything on, on it. That's it. That, and then they leave them there. Yeah. Do they ever meet? I hope so, but I, I doubt it. Yeah. And how long before they hatch? It, it depends on, on the species. <laughs> if I remember correctly for flatbacks, which is the, the turtle species I've worked most with in Western yeah. Australia, I believe it's rough, I want to say maybe four weeks. 
Okay. Um, or perhaps 28 days. Uh, I have to double check on that. And then they make their way to the water. Yes, yes. So they, can they crawl from the word go as they come out of the mm. shell? As they, as they come out, they've got a, a little tooth on their snout yeah. and that helps them to break, come, out. break out. And then that, that comes off naturally. Okay. Um, but as they feel the vibrations of other hatchlings moving, they all, that triggers them. They all start to hatch. And then with a joint effort, they, they come into the surface, come towards the surface. Into the sand. Mm. And then they look for water. They look for water and also the moonlight. So if there's a light somewhere else, so some, in some areas of the world where suburbia is quite built up, yeah. it can be quite dangerous because they'll go the other way or oh. follow a light. Mm. So the, the moonlight and, and the water, of course. And a female will, she can lay more than one clutch in a season. Oh. So she'll lay her eggs go back to sea and come then back. in a few weeks come back again. Wow, that's very interesting. So did you have an interest in animals when you were little? Do you remember? As far as I remember, I've always had an interest in animals. Mm. People have often asked me why or how come, and I, I don't have an answer for that. I guess that's how God made me. <laughs> yeah. Of course. And, but growing up, um, my parents were very supportive. I had lizards as pets, uh -huh. um, frogs, guinea of pigs. course. Uh, I don't remember guinea pigs, but definitely lizards and frogs and cats and dogs and, yeah. and such things and a galara at, at one point. And but, your brother and sister, did they like anything? Were uh, they in animals? animals? Not really. I mean, my brother and my sister both had a cat and a, a dog, respectively. Yeah but nothing in compared to my level of passion for, for wildlife. Wow. And you asked me why turtles. And I think with animals, I do love all animals. Yes. But I'm particularly passionate about animals that in, are endangered or in need of attention. Okay. And so you have a heart for the ones in need, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So although meerkats aren't exactly in need, yeah. I would love to one day go back to Africa and maybe other parts in Africa like Tanzania or Botswana and work with animals that, that are in need of help. Mm. What's your first memory of childhood? My very first memory of childhood. My very first memory of childhood. I can't say to be sure, but what comes to mind is playing in my backyard. We had a, a built-in trampoline with yeah. my sister. And as a child, I went through a stage where I would always wear goggles. So <laughs> I'm on the trampoline outside and my sister's near me and I'm, I've got my goggles on. Swimming goggles. Swimming goggles. I'd, I'd wear them to the shops. And, <laughs> yeah. Good. Mm. Uh, did you enjoy swimming as well? Swimming? What? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I, I'm a lifeguard and a swimming teacher. Oh. But I, I grew up swimming, I guess, at the beach. Um, yeah. I love scuba diving. That mm -hmm. is one of my passions. Okay. And um, my father, he, he's an avid fisherman. So <laughs> I guess nature and, and those kinds of things were exposed to me early. Nice. Beautiful.
you grew up in Perth. You were born in Perth, right? Yes. So I was born in Subiaco and uh, raised in Wanneroo. Right. Uh, how was primary school for you? Primary school was was really quite difficult. So I have a few learning um, challenges mm -hmm. like dyslexia and dysgraphia, and that made school really hard. Yeah. So I I think I was often not the easiest child to deal with. Um, as I sincerely hated school. Um, so it, it was really hard, but there's definitely a lot of good moments in that. Uh, there's a, my parents had a close friends uh, who lived not, not far down the road from us. Yeah. And they had a boy who's the same age as me and he's still one of my best friends, Daniel. So I, one thing that does come to mind in primary school is having lots of good times with Daniel. Yeah, wonderful. Mm. And did it change when you went to high school or still challenging for you? Yeah, still challenging. Uh, I probably started to feel it even more. Mm -hmm. I think it was really hard for me to not be able to do the things as quickly or as easily as other kids did. And more academically or? Academically. Yeah. Mm. Because I, I went to all the swimming into schools and I was quite a social young boy. Yeah. So that was no, no trouble. But academically, um, was quite challenging. Um, but my parents, they, they, they made they sure I had tutoring. Yes. They so, up early. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I've recently discovered earlier that this year that I've got ADHD. So as well as, as well. So I'm, I think the academic and learning how I learn has been an ongoing process, mm. but my parents from a young age saw that I learnt, I think, differently. Yeah. And they were really attentive in making sure that I got tested for everything and went to tutoring, which I, of course, hated, but it, I am grateful now. Yeah. Uh, your mum was in education as well. She worked as a chaplain in the school. She worked as a kids pastor mm. with me for a while. Um, so she would have had a lot of um, skills into helping you. It was Definitely. a good family to grow up in. Yeah, it, it was a great family to grow up in. And so that was the school that I went to. Yeah. And I think using her influence, she helped me many times like, in, in primary school, I got excused from studying French in um, the last few years. And now, now you're sorry. Because <laughs> I don't speak French. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, um, did you play much sports when you were a teenager? Played lots of sport. So all through high school, I yeah. played lacrosse, which oh, is... great sport. You know, lacrosse. French sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So you wear the helmets and you hit each other with your sticks. Um, and so I guess I, I very much did whatever my brother was doing. Yes. And so he, he played How much older is he than you? Four? My brother is six years older. Six than years. Me. Yeah. So he's the first. Then he's second. the second. And my sister, who's seven years, okay. is the first. Oh, so the gap, there's a six year gap between mm, you and your brother. Six year gap. So you were trying to catch up with him, whatever he was doing. <laughs> I think my whole life I've always looked, looked up to him in, in many ways. Was the gap? A bit of a problem. I mean, because you were so, you know. Uh, 
when I was a young, well, in primary school, I think especially, yeah. my brother and I probably weren't too close. No, because he would have been in high school by then. <laughs> yeah, I was this annoying brother who would go into his room and mess up his stuff or cut As his cat's do. whiskers off. Or I, 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 that is one thing. I think I was, very, I was a very naughty child. <laughs> um, but growing up, uh, my brother is now one of my closest friends. That's wonderful. Mm. That's absolutely wonderful. Um, your parents are both Christians. Yeah. And um, your grandma was Christian as well. Mm. So how was that? Uh, how did that help, you know, your growing up in a Christian family? I've often said to my parents when we've had discussions about things that for all the things that you did wrong or, or my parents are great, by the way. I don't want to give you the illusion that they're not. But the, like, if none of that, if none of like the fact that they introduced me to Jesus Christ is the best gift that they ever could have given me. Yeah. So I think I've often taken for granted uh, being raised in a Christian home, mm. and but now I truly see what gift, what a gift it is, and hopefully someday I can give give that to someone else, children perhaps. Wonderful. When, when did it make sense to you? When, when did you have your first encounter, true encounter mm. with God? That's it's an interesting question because I often think about this because, um, as I said to you, I don't remember a, an initial encounter like many people do. Yeah. I kind of grew up always knowing God was there. But mm. there is, I think, the first tangible like encounter was at a, a youth camp. I think I would have been like 13 um, and Planet Shakers was on at the time. And I don't really remember the context or what was preached in the church, yeah. but I, I just remember the encounter, mm-hmm. just feeling the presence of God so overwhelming yeah. and uh, yeah, and his love. Um, so that I think that's the, the first, the very first time I, I had, that encounter, but um, and I've had many since. But I, I've really it's it's been good because my parents, as you know, both love yeah. the Lord, and so th- that was never far away from conversation. When did you get baptized? I would I think I got baptized at 15, 14, 15. So after that camp. Mm. Yeah. Not yeah. Not too long after. So you always went to church on Sundays, various churches as uh, your parents moved. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And your brother and sister as well? Yeah. They, they had, I guess, the same upbringing with mum and dad, and they, and they you know, loved the Lord so much. And then you learned music as well, didn't you? You play keyboard, you play piano. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I have done some vocal lessons, okay. but I'm, I haven't... I haven't done that for a while. It's yeah. just like playing the keys. It's something you need to continue working on. So yes. hopefully one day I'll, I'll do more of that. But so you took lessons to play the keys? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I did in high school, I, yeah. I did lessons for piano and music yeah. reading. Yeah. And then it was later that uh, the church that I was at where I met you, yeah. um, they needed someone to... Help out. Help out with the keys and, and with the youth. Yeah. So um, they started, fit, like, I guess, teaching me, filling in the gaps. Who was that? Who was teaching you? So I forget her name. Oh, there was a visiting 
a, a worship leader. They had a conference at at church, a visiting conference. I don't know if you remember. Um, there was a lady who was helping the helping lead worship. Yeah, and she offered. Yeah, she kind of spearheaded. Like, wow. if I'd like to come along. That's so. For, for a few weeks, I'd just come to the music practices yeah. and then eventually youth and then yeah. on, on stage. So wow. uh, I, I'd love to do that again soon. Um, my, my keyboard it hasn't been used as of late, but I, I'd love to continue that. Well, that's a, it's a special gifting that you have, so you should absolutely make use of that. Um, have you had, you know, sometimes people have a, a period where they doubt a period when they go um, against many things that they normally should not go against. Uh, have you had your, um, they call it sometimes a rebellious spirit, but not necessarily a rebellious spirit, but a period of wilderness or a period of doubt or a period that is a lot darker, a chapter in your life? Yeah. So that brings quite a few things to mind, but growing up, particularly, particularly, when I was quite young, I was really quite confident. Yeah. Um, thought I could do anything. Mm. But through school, I think I had quite low self-esteem. Yeah. So school was really quite difficult for me. And I, some people flourish in school yeah. and that was not, not myself. But I think that led to um, a series of depression. Yes. And after high school, I, I think one thing in my life that I've always struggled with is both um, both recognizing that I have a voice yes. and other people recognizing that I have a voice. Mm -hmm. And I would often just go with what other people thought was best. I'd constantly ask, well, what would you think? And then I'd just do that. Yep. Um, but that really never left me with any fulfillment. So after school, I, I studied a course that I didn't really enjoy. Yeah. Um, what did you do? So I did conservation land management. Okay. And I do have a, a passion for the environment, but more so for animals. Yeah. And there was about one unit which had to do with animal conservation and the rest was um, trees and soil and things, which I, I did like, but it, it just didn't feel right. Mm. And then after that, I started working within the city of Belmont, yes. looking after the reserves and bushlands. Okay. And so that, that really was a great job, great benefits. I still have very good friends yes. from working there yeah. um, who I still keep in contact. And Wonderful. But I, even there, I, I often pondered like, oh, what am I doing? Like just doing the same thing, not really feeling like I had a purpose. Yes. And so it was through that that I was really uh, quite low in myself. Mm. And during this time, I also was every summer that I'd be working with sea turtles. Yeah. So and that would be a trip away somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd go away um, usually for two or three weeks up north yep. with Parks for Wildlife, um, first as a volunteer and then as a team leader to um, work with the turtles, which I loved. Yes. And through that, an opportunity came up to work as the research and project supervisor for this project in um, the West Indies. And wow. so during this time, I, I, I felt like, oh, this is it. Like, this is my, 
um, I guess, breaking point from, yes. from this. It's something more in line with what I want to do. Um, and so I, I applied to go for six months. It was a paid job or very little pay? Very little. But enough to survive? Enough, enough to survive, enough to survive. And the, the cost of everything in Grenada is, is quite low. Yeah, it's just yeah. the flight getting there. Yeah, just expense. That was all my expense, really. The flight. And uh, you're not pretty, you're not fancy. So, you know, it's not like you need a lot of stuff. And yeah, just, um, just a bag for, for six months. And I, I like kind of the rough wilderness yeah. thing, adventure. Adventure. Yeah. So I, going into this, I was, I was low, but I really saw that this could be uh, a new adventure, something yeah. that would change things. So, I took six months leave from my job, which mm -hmm. they approved, wow. which is the good thing about government. And I went and it, it really, I think, was a turning point in my life, I think, for many other things. But I, I'd really call that year, at, like you said, wilderness, like uh, I guess a wilderness year. Yeah. And it was probably the hardest time in my life. And Although I was blessed by going, you know, seeing these massive sea turtles, which I've always wanted to see, yeah. and the jungle there and monkeys and um, iguanas, uh, I really um, had some hard time with people there mm. and, and being mistreated. And, yeah, I, I guess I would say it was a, a form of um, abuse. And I... Yeah, that was, it was really hard. Yeah. Uh, I, and I think that's when I guess that depression turned to, you know, seeking for a way out. Um, and I started to consider suicide. Well, you were going to get out of It's harsh because you're away from your family. Mm. They probably don't realize what you're going through that extent you've stepped down on a limb and all of a sudden you're uh, battling with these uh, mental issues, thoughts, depression, challenges. It's interesting. But what kept you going? <coughs> I, I, God, I, I, cause I, I was already feeling low before I left. Yes. And, but, it's interesting. I felt sick at the idea of going, but it's such an amazing adventure. It, there's, be, there was no reason for that. You didn't want to miss out. Yeah. And, well, yeah, it's interesting now looking back. But back to your question, I, when someone tells you and treats you like you're worthless and you're already thing low every day and to other people in front of you, eventually – Eventually, I believed that I was worthless. And I remember I would sit on my bed and take communion. And it was the only way that I could get through the day, just trusting God. Um, so he, even when he, I felt like he wasn't there for me, he, he has been there for me. Mm. Mm. And, and that is sincerely how I got through it. Was that a practice that you learned at home? Yeah, so my parents... Uh, take communion, I wouldn't say regularly, well, not ritually, but regularly. And I guess I, I still, I took communion today 
I think it really helps me to set my sights on God, just to remember what he's done for me and that why he's done it and that he is still looking after me. Yes. Mm. Special. Mm. Did, um, once you got back, how, how did you settle back in here first? It was really hard coming back. I, I, yeah, it was difficult coming back. Because of the job or relationships or? Well, um, definitely relationships. So I, I met a girl in, in the Caribbean. Yes. And she, she didn't know God. And I, we didn't exactly have a relation, like didn't start a relationship. But in a time where I was feeling so low, she was someone who validated me and, and would listen to me. And so I really formed a connection with her. Yes. But before I left, um, a couple of months before, I, I kind of, I said that we can't take this further. You know, I need, I need someone who has the same beliefs as me and wants to pray with me and for me and for each other. Yes. Um, and that was difficult because I felt like I couldn't be with her because I, I really wanted to. Um, so I guess leaving Grenada, leaving her, and then now with the feelings, I guess, of almost self-loathing, I, I just didn't know what was next for me. Yeah. And while I was in, in the Caribbean, this is when I got the offer to go to Africa. Yes. To South Africa. Yes. So I had, so when I got home, I resigned from my position and that oh. summer I was going to go to Africa. Yes. But I was such a bad state mentally, like not really looking after myself that I had to cancel the trip and then not working and then not, there, I couldn't see any foreseeable future, I guess. Yeah. And that's what I think when I was in a really dark, dark time. Even yeah. darker than in Granada. Mm, I think, I think that Grenada led up to that moment. Yeah. But it was just building up, piling up. Exactly. The thing uh, which I'm now learning is with mental health and pe with suicide and suicidal ideation, it, ideation, it, it often starts as depression and then people go through a form of trauma. And then after that trauma is, is where they get such a low point. So coming back, I, um, I had PTSD. I would always think about it. I dream about it, about the things that happened there. And I, I was really tormented mm. and I, I wanted to escape yeah. and not being able to be with this girl. Um, and through that, I actually decided to, to attempt to take my life. Mm. So in Granada was more of a thought, whereas when you were back here, you, you said it was it. Yeah, I, I, I thought about it, but that's, yeah, when I got back, I think it takes a lot of, a lot of time to get to that point of thinking. And um, I, I just, I remember distinctly feeling like there wasn't really another choice. And because I was so low, I could see that the hurt that I was putting on my family. And when someone is sick with, you know, mentally with these things, they, or for myself, I thought that I was the cause of this. And in a way, 
they, they were hurting for me, not because of me. Yeah. And I just, I think not long, a couple of weeks before my birthday, I tried to take my life and, and the next day um, ended up in hospital because of that. But I think, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. I really see that I am alive because of God. Um, and that, and then hospital was a very hard time, being isolated. Um, I became a heavy smoker um, and that wasn't, and I tried within hospital as well. I just didn't see a way out. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So you, a couple of attempts. Yeah, that's right. That uh, were you relieved that you didn't manage to succeed, or were you upset? I suppose I, initially, after the first and second attempt. My instant thoughts were, okay, well, what, what else can I try? What else can I do? And the second time, if, if I wasn't in, with, in hospital, you would have died. I, it, yeah, there, there would have been no protecting me from myself. Yeah. So I think hospital was really a turning point where I could be kept safe from myself in involuntary care, uh, where I could get the help that I needed. Mm. How did uh, these unsettle your family? It broke my family in many ways. Um, seeing my family hurt the way they were, it, it could was... Could you sense it? Yeah, I could sense it, very much so. And they, my whole family was hurting um, and I blamed myself. I blamed myself for it. And that was even like in my... In that state, that was more reason. I, I, I would think that if I just go, they'll be okay. Which isn't true of all, at all, of course. Mm. Mm. You were dark then. Yeah. Um, in, in the midst of all that, spiritually, did you have awareness? Did you have a bit of spiritual awareness of the battle that was going on in the spirit world? I'd say minimal, I think. Now I'm extremely aware, but I, I think I didn't realize it as much as I, as, I, as I did then. And I think I was very deceived and blind. And, um, and in my mind, this was all caused by me and that, I actually guilty. There was guilt, a massive so shame much and guilt. guilt and shame. So yeah. much guilt and shame. And like looking at back at my life and I I just didn't feel like I had a place. Hmm. And I I distinctly I distinctly recall, you know, being in the hospital and just, I guess it was like a feeling of, of, of being alone, but it's interesting cause I, I never doubted my faith in God, yeah. but I was sick to such a point where I didn't want to get better. Mm -hmm. I was, which sounds 
twisted, but I, I was like, I don't want to get better. I don't want help. I just yeah. went out. Mm. Mm. And I think through that, one thing among many that I've learned is the power of prayer. How, because I've often thought about what separates me to other believers who have had this, had, yeah. you know, and of course I can't say completely, but I know that one thing that my family did is they prayed yeah. constantly yeah. and friends and um, my, and also my mum my will tell you that she has learnt more so the power of prayer since then and she is already someone who prayed very regularly. Mm. How did you come out um, through medication, through mm. spiritual awakening as well? Mm. So initially, I suppose you had to be medicated to be able to survive that period. Definitely. So the medication, I think, was a large part, definitely probably one of the largest. I, having medication and being placed in a safe place where they could tweak the medication yeah. for me um, is really something I think that that with psychotherapy, um, talking through things and changing my understanding of things combined really improved my state. Yeah. But I, I remember that I, the very, it's, this sounds interesting to me, but I, so during this time in hospital, uh, it was this girl's birthday that yeah. I was, had this um, friendship, with. friendship with in, in Grenada. And I, I, being so low, I, I messaged her. And then through that and the encouragement of the psychiatrist and psychologist at the time, I started a long distance relationship with her. Mm-hmm. And I don't, that relationship, it wasn't the best thing for me, but I am so grateful to that girl for how she, how she was there for me in my time of need. She understood what was going on to some level and she stayed yeah. in the gap. She came in the gap. Yeah. I, I said, I'm not, I can't promise you anything. Um, and she was there for me and would just listen. So I, th- I honestly believe that God used her yeah. um, in my recovery. Mm. I just want to backpedal just because you mentioned spiritual, sure. yeah. uh, the struggles. Please. I think there was this distinct moment in the hospital where I had, I guess, an awakening of that all, this is also real, the struggles. Yeah and of the, the battle. I, and when I had been placed in the in, involuntary ward, it, they don't just put people there who are violent to themselves. They put all kinds of people who are struggling yes. with all things. And as you can imagine, it, all kinds of spiritual things would enter yeah. there as well. And I, it, I used to just stay near the security guard all day because I was scared of other people in there. But um, I digress. One night I was sleeping and as loud, as clearly as I hear you, yes. I heard large footsteps running towards my bed, like at full bolt. I woke up in like a fright 
um, and looked around and there was no one else in the room but me. Mm. And I looked at the clock and it was 3 a.m. And all of a sudden I felt this really dark presence in the room, mm. which I've never felt before or since. And it was heavy. Yeah. And from the corner of the room, there were spirits, demons speaking to me, asking me to join them. And that was a really um, intense encounter. I, and it took me a moment, but I, I, I said no. And I said no in Jesus' name. Yeah. And then after I said that, it's like the fog slowly lifted. Yeah. And then so I went back to sleep. And then the next morning I, I messaged my, my good friend Nikki and I said, like, you're not going to believe what happened last night. Like, <laughs> please don't think I'm crazy. Like, and I told her and she said, well, what time was that? And I said, at 3 a.m. And she said, last night at 3 a.m., the Holy Spirit woke me up to pray for you. Wow. And this is Nikki James. This is Nikki James. Who we both know. Who we both know. And in, in the same house, in another room, God also woke up her parents to pray for me. That's amazing. Separately. And they didn't know the other one was awake, both praying wow. for me until the morning. Gary and Corinne. And I can't, like, I could never make this stuff up. Yeah. That during this, that they were both awake praying for me. You know, in the so, middle of the battle, you are not alone. Exactly. And I've always known that the forces of, you know, um, of Satan, I guess, are, are there. But after that, I was like, it's all real. It's like, it's like, I can't unknow. I'm, yes. You know? Yeah. And I think since then, I've, there's been times when I've waved, but I think that was a changing point in recognizing that that these spirits are there yeah and there's a battle for our lives mm. you know it's not flesh and blood no you know this and these it torment, manifests in exactly flesh and blood, but it's so much exactly and it's a torment as you say exactly so that um yeah that just that's came amazing. to mind when you were mentioning that's beautiful yeah wow. mm. the darkest hour when you think you're alone God shows up, eh? Yeah, he really does. And that's something he's shown me because that's something I've struggled with, you know. As I've cried on the floor when no one's around, you know, uh, asking God to, to, like, rescue me, like, crying out and, and in both occasions before trying to take my life. And, and I think now, because I've often thought you, you weren't there, but I think... I know going back, I was so blinded by my grief that I could, just couldn't see and that he was on the floor there with me, with his arm over me, crying with me. Yeah. And so I've never been alone. Wow. Yeah. You are on the men's, aren't you? You are, you are being healed. Yeah, definitely. When did I, the healing start? The healing from that? From that low point. I think it's been gradual. Yeah, of course. I think it's a journey. Exactly. So I came out of hospi hospital in, in January 
And how long were you in? So I was in there for three months. Quite boring after a while. <laughs> boring, but also it. While I didn't want to go in, I also didn't want to leave. Yeah, it because you had the support around you. Yeah, and I just didn't feel safe or outside. Yeah, and I'd feel anxious around groups of people. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started with day visits, leaving, yeah. and then gradually with so, healing yeah. and, and the support of the family, like praying for you. Oh, I could not have all of this because of my family. They've been there for me through everything, whether I'm on good standing with them or whether I'm not, they're, they're there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your dad's had his challenges, hasn't he? As he has, health, health with stuff. his health. Yeah. Um, but he still has such a great faith yeah. in, in God. Yeah, he's one of those word of faith man. He, he just utters it, speaks it out. And yeah. He believes it, which is wonderful. He does, he does. So you're eight months now in, mm. into your recovery. How, how are you feeling? How are you traveling? So eight months in. So one thing I think that really came out of that is starting to think about what I want to do with my life instead yeah. of just it being dictated for me. Sure. And with my education, I never thought I could ever amount to more learning. Yes. And I, I thought I hated learning, but what I recognize now is that I love learning, but just differently and specifically. Yes. And as a child, I always wanted to study zoology, mm -hmm. animal behavior, animal groups and how they work and function. I always wanted to, but I never thought that I ever could. Yeah. It was something that I just didn't think about because I, Uni, there's no way I'm going back to school. <laughs> but through, out of that, um, I came to, I was accepted at UWA to study zoology. Whoa. And so that was like a mind-blowing thing for me because this is something I've always wanted to do and mm. now that God's leading me into. Um, and so eight months in, I'm doing great. Think, You're at uni? You, you finished a number of units in the first semester? Yes. So I went in through a specific pathway. Yes. Um, so I had to do like a specific English and maths unit. That's fine. Um, just as a broadening unit, so yeah. no extra. So that went well. And doing biology in my first units and animal function, just cutting up different animals and I loved <laughs> it. So eight months in, uh, it was going well. But I, I, I don't think I was really going to church in that time. So I, I guess I've allowed hurt from people to yes. get in the way of my relationship with God many times. And I never, I always loved Jesus, yeah. but I, it just wasn't a priority, I guess, at that time. I was at uni. I had a, a long-distance girlfriend who, and by this time, so within the semester one break, I, I went to America to visit her for the first time um, and she is lovely her family is lovely so like I was on cloud nine really like yeah. it was a, it was a very good year yeah it was a very good year and I I turned down this offer to go to South Africa but they still wanted me to come yeah so I thought 
about instead of doing it after my degree, mm-hmm. um, that I would do it um, the next year. Because um, in my mind, I, w- I would be married. So, <laughs> um, so I deferred the next year, yeah. 2020, and um, at the start of the year, packed my bag and, and went to South Africa. Oh, you did? Mm. I oh, said so this, this chapter wasn't this year, it was uh, in 2020. 2020. Yeah, okay. Yes. Before COVID. Well, COVID happened while I was there, okay. I guess. So when I went there, I heard about something in China, but it I didn't know what it was, something small. Um, but there were temperature scanners in South Africa at the airport. I was like, that's unusual. Yeah. But um, people ask me what my view is of South Africa, but in truth, I didn't really see it <laughs> because I From was- the airport straight to the jungles and that's it. Yeah. So five hours away from the nearest town, yeah. And even when I left, many places were closed. Yeah, because which of the... I wanted to go safari and see lions um, and and giraffes, but that's the next trip. Yeah, great. Yeah. So at the moment, you are second year, third year, third year university. So I've just finished my first year. Yeah. So. Grenada and hospital was 2018. Okay. Then my first year of uni was 2019. Yes. And then 2020 in South, South Africa. Africa. So I've still got two more years after this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what else is happening in your world at the moment? Girls? Yes. Well, <laughs> the one girl. So yeah, things with, with her were, were going well. It's, and it's, Where it's, is she? She's in America. So she's in America at the yeah. moment. So she was studying um, in Grenada to become a vet. Yeah. And then was doing an internship at yeah. um, a hospital in Tennessee in America. Yeah. And prior to, I can't remember if it was prior to Africa or after, she actually came to visit what well, would have been prior to visit my family. So, she, so and I had since gone back a few times, but... That was really nice having here for Christmas and meeting my whole family. Nice. Um, and it was, I think it was difficult for my family that I with, was with someone who didn't know Jesus as they did and I did. Yes. But they, I think they let a lot of things, well, they didn't address a lot of things with me because they were still so uh, cautious about my health. Yeah. You know, um, I'd have my sister buy me cigarettes and um, such, which, uh, yeah. But I've since stopped that. You quit. Mm. Well done. But do you think that's spiritual as well? It's, um, so was it a coping mechanism for you, Smokey? When I started it, I was just looking for anything to numb the pain. Um, and but the emotional pain, not physical pain. Exactly emotional pain and that's with with people who do self-harm as well because with when your brain registers emotional and physical pain the same way um so when people cut themselves as i i did it it releases chemicals to numb that pain but when you've also got emotional pain that it numbs that as well yeah so anything just to numb the pain Mm. um yeah so yeah many different things um during that time Mm. but yeah 
South Africa was good, but I, I'm, I love people. I, I need to be around people. And so I originally was going to stay 12 months. Yes. But I decided to shorten that stay to seven months. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. It, it was difficult while I did love being out just in God's nature. Yeah. Um, for, for months on end, it, it kind of, it, I struggled with it. And I, again, was questioning, like, what am I doing? I, and I, and with the more I learn about myself about ADHD is that people with ADHD need to be stimulated. And there'll be often um, periods at a time that were quite mono monotonous. Yeah. Um, and so I decided to start uni again part-time yep. and um, go to Tennessee to see my girlfriend. Um, yeah, and things were really good with her. But the thing with long distance, it's, it's not always easy to have important conversations. Sure. And even when you do go and see each other, it's often not real life because you're on holiday yeah. and it's just not a representation of, of a real life between two people. So, and I, I actually, I bought a ring in South Africa and we'd, we'd, we'd spoken about marriage and it was kind of like, it's happening basically. Yes. Um, so I, I went and had a ring made for her um, and I, I was so excited. I was so excited. I couldn't wait. And once I finally had it, I was like, this is happening, you know? Yes. Because I guess I, I guess the whole time I was still questioning mm -hmm. this relationship, I guess. Um, and definitely with my parents, I, I would often say, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry this girl, mum. Like, you know, I'm doing what I want yeah. kind of thing. Um, but I really realised now that I was trying to convince myself, um, but I loved her. Yeah. And I flew to, to Tennessee. Well, I got stuck in Johannesburg for about a month because of COVID. <laughs> um, so for you, from South Africa, you went straight to America? Straight to America. Yeah. Yeah. So I went straight there um, to Tennessee um, and I was in Tennessee until I think November from August. Wow. Mm. That's nice. Or not so nice. Uh, sometimes nice. Sometimes <laughs> not so nice. Who did you stay with? So I stayed, um, there's where um, my girlfriend was staying in an apartment that had like an offset room. So I basically in the same house, like a extension. Sure. Yeah. And her parents were there? She no. Was... So she was from New York. Okay. So she had gone there for, uh, to do an internship mm -hmm. um, for her vet studies. Okay. And that, that was difficult because during COVID, even in America, you didn't really go anywhere. Mm. Um, and she would be out all day and I'd just be there. Um, and studying at UWA online meant I'd sometimes have to be up at 2 a.m. for a 2 p.m. tutorial and, and lectures. And um, for everything that I needed to interact with, I'd be up. But yeah. I learned to just record the video if I, I didn't to. need to um, and just hope they don't ask me a question and then watch it the next day. Yeah. But that was in, 
a parallel to South Africa, it was also a really isolating time because I was on my own for most of my time. I couldn't really go out or do anything except for the shots. Um, and when my girlfriend came home, she was really quite tired. Um, but I, I remember the phone call that I, when I called her parents to ask for their permission to marry, marry her. Yeah. And, um, it was, a, it was a good phone call. Um, they, you know, they were like crying. They were like so happy. And I, I had a great relationship with them. Yeah. But I think the first moment of doubt I had was when her mum, I guess, almost warned me, but wanted to clear things with me. And she said, you know, this, my daughter is, she's really driven, you know. I know that you're very religious. She's not too religious. And although I told myself that I, I'd accepted that, I'm like, I'm going to marry an non-Christian. Like, that's, that's just how it's going to be. And I, I really had the belief that that was in the Bible to protect the believer from compromising. But now I genuinely believe that it's better for, for everyone, for the unbeliever as well. Although I know God does and can redeem yes. situations. So that, that was the first moment I was like, oh, interesting. And, you know, when you start a relationship with someone, you, you show your better half. You're yeah. like, you, if you're not interested, you say, oh, I'm you know, interested or this or that because you want the other person to, to, to love you. Um, yeah. And that is kind of what happened with both ways, I guess. But I, I regret how much I, I compromised during that time. Mm. And in such things, you don't, no one starts out, but slowly you slip, you slip. Yeah. You know, if you it's like, okay, this, and then it goes further. And, but these things are in my mind, but I was like, well, I'm marrying her. So I took her to a really nice, um, like nature park in Tennessee. Not to a restaurant. <laughs> no, well, we both love the outdoors. I, know, I was going to yeah, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this, this should have been it, you know. Mm. And? So, and I've got the ring. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to her, I'm like asking, like trying to gauge our future. I'm like, so we'll go work with animals in Africa and things like that. We always spoke about and kids and, and kids had always been something that like I definitely wanted, but she was like, well, maybe someday. Yeah. And talking about that, she was like, well, you know, I need to study and do this and then, you know, a doctorate or she was probably the most ambitious, like driven girl I've ever met. Yeah. And so we were talking about that and I was saying, well, like, well, can't we have kids like while we're doing all these things? And she just really wasn't in the mood for, for talking about it. Yeah. Um, and I said to her, I was like, well, what happens if I want kids and you don't? And she said, oh, we won't get married then. And like, because it was, we weren't exactly engaged then, but in, in our minds, it was a thing. Done deal. A done deal. So, but that, when she said that, it was kind of as a jest, but when she said that, I was kind of taken back, back a bit. Because yeah. I was like, whoa. And that's when I really started to doubt. 
and she, whenever we'd have a hard conversation, she would shut down and just stop responding. So that was really hard. And over the, the next few months. So you didn't pop the question, never gave her the ring? Not then, no. No, ne I didn't. Mm. But yeah, because I get, I, the reason I didn't is because I'm like, okay, well, I, I want to go through some things with her first. Yeah. Um, and but over the next few months, because she was also doing a master's while her vet degree in some biology, maybe marine biology. Yeah. So she's very busy. So she'd come home, either be working or watching TV. And I like, I'm, I'm happy to watch TV, but I want to have deep conversations. And, and that wasn't really her. And I think like it gave me a picture of like, oh, is this what our life is going to be like? Where, and I, I think something that w wasn't helpful in my recovery was that while Amanda gave me attention when I wasn't doing well, when I was fine, I was almost ignored. Mm. And in that way, I think I subconsciously started to increase that so that I would get her attention, yeah. which was not healthy for me at all. No. Yeah. And her working so often and working, I, I really doubted if that's what I wanted my life to be like. Yeah. And through talking to people, I, because I, it was difficult to have a conversation, I wrote down a list of all the things I wanted to talk to her about. And I, I still wanted to get married yes. at this point. And I, especially with children, it got me thinking that, well, okay, I've accepted that she doesn't know the Lord, but if I have kids, I want them to have the same upbringing that I had growing up with a firm faith in, in Jesus. And I, I was writing all this down and addressing her to this. Um, and she said to this, well, isn't it fair that we both give our beliefs to our children? And that, that is completely fair. Yeah. But in my mind, they wouldn't have a firmer belief no. in God as, as I did. And the next, through the next day, we both cried um, and didn't talk much. And we, we, we both sat on the floor of her, her apartment. And I said, is it, is it okay if we just date for a while instead of getting married while you decide if you want like God and Jesus in your life? Yeah. Because when I started realizing how much I wanted my kids to know the Lord. Mm. It's like I was rediscovering how much I actually want someone to share that with as well. Yeah. And she said, no, I don't want that. It's like you're pushing me into a corner and you're forcing me to decide. And I, I understood completely where she was coming from, but there wasn't much more where I could go for that. Yeah. Um, so that, so then we, we, we broke up, um, which is oh, so painful. painful. 
so painful um because it was it was conviction it wasn't a lack of love so i still yeah had these feelings for her sure and you know living right there next to her it, it was it was so hard and i needed somewhere to go and it was really interesting my friend who i mentioned briefly earlier daniel his wife's sisters youth leader through connection of a connection um they ended up housing me in tennessee nice and and they were a young christian couple yeah i think they married me one or two years and they loved the lord dearly mm. and just in every day i was there for maybe two weeks before he got a flight yes covid you saw a happy family yeah you saw and what christian life worship is music that. things like this yeah. and amanda didn't, and, and i didn't have any of that sure and i saw like this is what it's supposed to be like this yeah. is what i want yeah and i eventually got a flight home after nine grand and i was in hotel quarantine and she messaged me and and she asked she said if i decide to have children with you and become a christian can we still be together and that that was that was so difficult because that was everything I wanted. Yeah. But I, I felt so strongly that if she's doing it for me and not for the Lord, she will either resent me, resent yeah. God, or not follow through. Yeah. And so I had to say no, which, and it, it's taken me such a long time to get over that relationship. Yeah. And now, Whatever the outcome, whether decide to get married or not, or whatever stage, I feel so much compassion for people in relationships with people who don't know Jesus. Yeah. Because it's so hard. I mean, for myself, I would say that the largest part of who I am is my faith and love for God. Yeah. And when you can't share that with someone who you're closest to, it's it's heartbreaking mm. but god really like i, I was going to marry her. i think the yeah. conviction was from god yeah. if it wasn't for him i was set i was on the train oh, it took a lot of i mean conviction to turn against it to turn against that offer oh definitely definitely so that that is over amanda is a past chapter. Yeah, yeah. And I I still care for her. Sure. But, and I, I think to myself, if she one day meets Jesus, all of that will be worth it. Yeah. You know? And I hope that one day she does. Mm. And but when I when I came home, it's like I, I was smoking again. I kind of crawled back into myself again, not to the level where I was in 2018, but still wasn't doing that great. Yeah. And it, at this point, I haven't, I didn't regularly go to a church in about two or three years at this point. And I remember I was sitting in the back of my car, or my, my parents' cars were going somewhere, and I remember saying, oh, I just wish that I could find a, like a, a good church like for me. Yeah. And at that moment, she got a message from her friend 
whose daughter recommended a church for me. Wow. At that moment, as I'm complaining about church. Yeah. And it's, it's coincidences like this that so often that I can never dispute yeah. God. And it turns out that with um, her daughter, Maddie Richards, yeah. we never ended up meeting up to go at the same time. <laughs> and she ended up going to another church. Wow. But going to that church, they really took care of me when yeah. I was in such a low place and kind of helped me recover. Mm. And it's interesting, I, you know, perseverance builds character and God refines us, but being refined is, is always so painful. And I, I used to hear a song um, that has similar words like asking God to refine us and I used to cry because I, I didn't want to be refined because it yeah. hurts so much. But I can see how God has shown me things and brought me closer to him that I wouldn't have had the opportunity of if I haven't had gone through these things. And I would love to, to be able to be there for others who have and are going through these things with relationships or mental health yeah. and to have a voice because mm. everyone has a voice whether they know it or not. Yeah. Mm. It's beautiful. It's beautiful that the Lord has brought you into a church family where you can grow and heal and mend and push forward. Thank you, Natalia. What's next for you? What do you think? Or you're not thinking too much ahead? Well, since that, I've continued my zoology degree. Yeah. Uh, since finding out I've got ADHD at, at this year, is I guess because continuing the pursuit of learning how I learn. Cause yeah. Because uni has not been easy for me no. um, and wanting the desire to learn more. And I guess this last semester I was completely burnt out mm. and during exams is, is when my, um, my grandma died and just the stress of everything was compiling and I actually had a panic attack and, um, in that June, July while I was house-sitting, isolated again and ended up visiting hospital again briefly. Um, but so I've, I've deferred the semester is, is the, the reason I'm saying. So I, I do still struggle to know what's next for me, but I know that God, he, he's got a plan, you know, yeah. and if God has brought me out of it so much, which he already has, then I know that he is going to continue to do that. Yeah. So as you said, the plan. So the plan is to, this year I'm, I'm getting more involved in, in the community, um, which I'm excited about. Right. Um, doing outreach in Coffee Van. Coffee Van soon, hopefully. I'm getting involved with the organization called Red Frogs mm -hmm. as a volunteer. Ministering to young people yeah. in schools. Yeah, so last December I went to Levers. Yep. And Red Frogs, they, they're kind of, they're a peer support network, kind yeah. of street chaplaincy. Yeah. We just uh, be there for people in need, whether they need to cry on their shoulder, have a glass of water, or can I borrow your phone? And they, these young people feel so much joy and love. Yeah. And when you give that to someone, that, 
that lights you up as well. Mm. So I'm continuing to volunteer with them. Mm -hmm. But I think for this season, I'm really hoping that, well, I can continue this journey with um, learning about how I learn yeah. so I can go back into uni next year um, fully fledged. But also, I just want to know God more. Yeah. I think I'm questioning things I've never questioned before mm. about my faith and, and it's, it's bringing the Bible alive to me. Wonderful. And because I've always struggled with... Well, I think you're seeking God differently now, aren't you? Oh, definitely. I'm the closest with Him. Although I still have, still going through things, I'm the closest yeah. to God I've ever been. Wow. And I, yeah, I, I have complete faith in Him. Wonderful. It does waver at very times, but... Mate, you are just such a vulnerable and free man, which is beautiful to see. Thank you so much for coming here and sharing your story and just putting it out there to bless the people. It's been an honor. It's wonderful. Thank you. Really, really Thank appreciate it. Thank you so it. much, Tanya. What an amazing story, eh? I think we're going to call this uh, Closer to God, this, this uh, podcast, because throughout all the challenges that life throws at us, it's an invitation to draw nearer to God. No matter what you're going through out there and the challenges that you're faced with, maybe like Joel, you wanted to take your own life. But these things should drive you closer to God, and He's never far away. I truly pray that you find Him in the midst of all the turbulence that's going on in your life. And the Lord bless you. May He keep you going. And uh, when we come back to hear good news that God is doing in your life, we pray for you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.